There's a handful of restaurants that come up in my conversations, one repeatedly being Rochelle Canteen in London, and James was there at the beginning. I'm Will Stewart, and you're listening to A Cook's Library. James grew up in his parents' restaurant, and years later was one of the first head chefs at Rochelle Canteen. James left London to open his pub in Scotland, the Kinnaker Inn. His favourite cookbook, The Essentials of Classic Italian Cooking by Marcello Hazan. But way, way back before he was a chef, James wanted to be a musician. Well, I was a classical uh, pianist, so um, so I entered a Birmingham conservatoire and uh, still got some good friends, actually, from there. And I did the whole... I did college. I had, I had this weird injury for a long time and I, I, I didn't want to be a teacher. Nothing, nothing against teachers, it's just I don't think I'd have been the best in a classroom situation. <laughs> I'm all right as a chef. So uh, I decided that uh, I wasn't going to be a concert pianist. So... <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted to change career. Mm. My uh, this is completely off topic, but my my granny was a she was a pianist. Um, right. She went to she grew up in she grew up in Paisley. She was given a Steinway piano when she was a kid, and she then moved to London and went to the Royal College of Music. And she brought her piano with her and like stopped the traffic Amazing. and put the piano through her window <laughs> in her room. Um, but yeah, she was a. I think she recorded one studio album, which we have like 20 copies of, and that's it. I bet it's good, though. It's nice to hear someone who you connected with playing music, because it actually, you can sort of tell it's them in a way. I, I don't know whether I'm waffling here, but... It's so surreal. Yeah. I like knew my granny kind of not that much, but hearing her play is really, really emotional. It is. and uh, to- I mean, we're getting off topic, but when, when my mother died, which was two years ago, um like photos and stuff are emotional but we didn't have any recordings of her very much singing and she was a soloist you know and then this guy in australia who'd sung with her we managed to get a copy he'd actually recorded it with a cassette at the coliseum in london Mm. like inside a prop singing lab om she was mimi and he was rodolfo it's just two lead characters and when you hear her voice like it it like completely captures her, you know, and it's quite hard to listen to, but still yeah. you want to listen to it all the time. Yeah. So I think music can be yeah, like it's, that. It's very moving. That's that's nice. And talking about your grandmother not playing for a long time, when I gave up the piano, I didn't play for, God, it must be 18 years. And I just recently, my father bought me a piano because he's like, you need to start playing again. Like an electric piano, but like weighted properly. And I, I just started playing again mm. during lockdown. And actually, like, I, I wonder why I didn't play for so long. Like, because it's so much less a waste of time than sitting on my ass watching, like, mind-numbing sort Crap. of Netflix. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so you go to food college. How do you then, you know, you become a chef, even though you said you didn't I want went to, to? I went to food college. And I did the first year and it was very classical stuff, which I had a feeling didn't connect to what people were doing in restaurants. No, this is not, this sounds like I'm disrespecting food colleges. They play a big part in the industry, but like things like taking a Dover sole and stuffing it with a Dover sole, like <laughs> something didn't seem right about it. What a waste of a Dover sole. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would only ever cook a whole Dover sole now. So like... Yeah. The sport of like taking half of it and turning it into a mousse and stuffing it into the other half is nonsensical. And I kind of knew that, even though I wasn't a chef. All I had was like the, the restaurant at home in Yorkshire was very much home cooking. Mm. So, which is 
and then uh, so you weren't in the kitchen ever you were just eating because your parents were cooking I, was, I mean i was eating and i was cooking in the kitchen but i was eating all the time like but i was cooking loads like right. i loved cooking in the kitchen and when i went to music college i was a good cook you know mm. which made me popular with a lot of people because people don't really cook do they no. um but then i just decided sort of on a whim that uh because i was a good cook i could be a chef and uh, i think that's a difficult it's difficult because you can be a great home cook but like translating that to being a chef takes years of of um hard work which i discovered and i did so i did college and uh, I, I, that afforded me to go for a year in the states which was just a lot of fun mm. um and then when I came back, uh, I left the college and I uh, went to London. And I, uh, I wanted to get the hardest job I could find, which was um, I saw in the paper an advert for uh, Gordon Ramsay's was at his height then. It was 2001, 2002. He'd just done Claridge's and he was opening this place, the Connaught, with this unknown woman, Angela Hartnett. Yeah. And, um, and I went for an interview thinking I'd done really well. I turned up in a suit, which, uh, and Mark Askew, if you know him, was interviewing me. He must have thought it was hilarious that I turned up in a full suit. Everyone else was just dressed like a chef would dress, you know, like jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah. And I interviewed and they gave me a job. And um, and I thought, God, I've done really well here. Uh, but they gave everyone a job, I think. It was a sink or swim situation. And, uh, yeah, and then I started working at the Connaught. Reality dawned. <laughs> yeah. And, um I, I was lucky, I think, because um, there was long, long hours. And, uh, well, you know what these kitchens are like. Like, you're talking five doubles a week, 90, 100-hour weeks. And uh, I was determined. I knew one thing I could do, despite me not knowing lots of the uh, the classical sort of techniques and things, was, like, I can, capacity to work long hours was definitely in me. Right. And Angela was one of the better people to work for, I think, because although she could, you know... <laughs> run it with the best men that I knew like she also had a nurturing quality which made me want to work for her more if, if that makes sense mm. so was it was it like how was the culture in in the restaurant was it like Gordon Ramsay culture or was it I mean I guess it was hard yeah it was hard well yeah it, you were generally quiet getting on with your work because there was so much to get through yeah it was a big turnover of staff um it was strict something wasn't right it went in a bin how long were you there for there for three and a half years so right wow good amount of time because hmm. when you said i mean i've never thankfully not thankfully i think there's probably good and bad stuff i've never actually worked in a huge kitchen doing 90 hours a week i think i was quite i think if you pick the right places now you can have a good work-life balance yeah which i guess probably wasn't a thing oh definitely times have changed though with that yeah i i, I wouldn't go back and and not do it i mean um God, like what I learned there was uh, invaluable, you know, and it was, um, I mean, it was a different sort of cooking to a lot of fine dining nowadays. So obviously sous vide hadn't come in then. Mm. So we were cooking things in pans and, yeah. you know, you're doing 200 covers and everything's got a crease on. It's sink or swim, really. Like you learn to cook duck and pigeon and lamb, like, you know, like... <laughs> you better learn quick or you're going to get stuff thrown back at you you know so at the time i figured this is what cooking is and uh so i continued down that path but like now i look back on it and i think yeah i say it'd be good for anyone to have a foundation in that but then you know you discover what you love and and what you want to do eventually i think yeah so where i mean was that 
was that Rochelle? Well, yeah, Rochelle would be a turning point. I went for an interview there. That was before it was what it is now. I promise you it was like, it took me about an hour to find it. How long had it been open then? It was 2007 and uh, it started in 2005 on the premise that Margot had been doing catering with Melanie Arnold yeah. from a house and she was running out of space to do it. And, you know, she had this, they had this amazing flat, her and Fergus in Soho. And, uh, and then the guy that owned Rochelle School, yeah, he had this space and he was like, well, you can come and use this space as long as you provide some food for the, like, if you've been to Rochelle School, the old, it's an old Victorian school and all the old classrooms, they, um, the old classrooms are like artists and designers and mm. it, it's an amazing place. Yeah. And it's like you provide food for them. But then people started ringing the buzzer and coming in because <laughs> Margot was doing like food there, you know, and like you could go get braised duck leg and carrots for like nine pounds. It was like the best place on, in London. Yeah. And so I, I turned up from fine dining to there. So, uh, and I had an interview with Margot and Melanie. A lot of the chefs that worked there were like a bit more, I don't know how to, this is not slagging them off, they were just a bit more blasé and a bit less trained than I was. Yeah. And she was worried about giving me the job because I've not worked at, at St. John. And, but like, she couldn't get away from the fact that I was the most qualified person that had gone for an interview. Mm. Like, I mean, I'd worked like I was a sous chef there. And I interviewed quite well and, and I cooked for her. Obviously, like, I didn't know what was going on, really, because it was such a strange place. Like, um, and I, I liked the idea of it, and I thought this could be a good thing for me. So I, t- I was offered other jobs, and I'll take, a pe- I'll take a pay cut to take the head chef job here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the food was like, uh, I didn't realise you could cook food like that in restaurants. It sounds like I was being stupid or something, but it was... No, I mean, I totally yeah. get it. I mean, this is, this is also, I guess, probably before St. John. Now you know, for people who don't know, St. John and Rochelle, you, their influence is everywhere. And like, you can't yeah. eat a restaurant and probably somewhere along the line, you'll find St. John and Rochelle in chef CVs who work there. Yeah. And and I'm proud that I was probably like there at the beginning of that, really. Mm. I was five years with Margot and, um, and it, it, it changed my whole course. And, um, and look, like we, we had some clashes, me and Margot. I mean, I came from a different, background and like we would argue about stuff uh, but it was always a bit love hate you know um and I also like work I, work I work a lot of hours in the kitchen it's what I like to do and sometimes she thought it was being a martyr and we'd go on like that <laughs> it was all but um what it did teach me was um first of all the enjoyment of a meal mm-hmm. like I think that's the key point that both Fergus and Margot could tell you like eating's about sitting down enjoyment drink friends the way you plan a meal should be like that like that's a, a very important thing it's chefs get lost in kitchens like get out of the kitchen and sit down and eat yeah because kitchens won't tell you anything about your eating experience mm. nothing well it's just like being comfortable it's yeah, so important absolutely like and and rochelle's like that you feel like you're coming somewhere almost like you come into a house or a home no when you're eating there like yeah, Rochelle's amazing. Like, I really, really like her cookbook, Margot's cookbook. Um, you know, you can yeah, you can cook a lot from it. 
I nearly suggested it for this, but then given that I was heavily involved in the photos and the writing, <laughs> I thought it'd be a bit self-promotional. <laughs> and I didn't think this was about that really, but yeah, but because I was there when she was writing the book, mm. it was hard to get Margot to like get her thoughts down in a book. I think like, uh, but it was good that she did. She's a good writer, Margot, when she puts her mind to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. both like St. John and, you know, Rochelle's books are amazing. Um, yeah. So what, I mean, what books are you cooking from at the point? Are you using cookbooks a lot or is it more kind of kitchen? kitchen? I use a cookbook as, um, I, I, I'll flip through them and I won't necessarily read the recipes, but they'll give me ideas. Mm. Or I will, I like to read ones that are sort of interesting from a, a text perspective you know and then I've got a lot of like um people who've worked for me and people who are friends have brought out books that I do find um interesting to flick through at the moment um Rosie Sykes if I don't know if you know Rosie but she's she's been around a while but she's one of the better cooks I know she worked for Sean Hill and uh, right. Joyce Molyneux back in the day yeah, yeah. and um and uh, Sunday Night Books, a really important book, I think, for people cooking at home. Like, because uh, for me, it's the sort of food you should be cooking for yourself at home. So I enjoy that. And then um, when I first came back to Rochelle, when I first started there, there was this young girl, Laura Jackson. And she was the first person, first victim I had as a head chef. She went to work for me. And she'd had a nice time with all these sort of more relaxed chefs. And then I came, like, thinking I was going to make a name for myself, like, and but I modelled her, I think helped her a bit, like she'd say, modelled her. And she now has a towpath, one of the best cooks I know. Mm -hmm. She's an amazing, she's a North London Jewish uh, descent. And uh, like a lot of uh, those sort of North London Jewish descent women, particularly great cooks, like, and she has the towpath, which if you haven't been to, you should go to, because I think it's one of the better places to eat in London, if you ask me. Yeah, love the towpath. So when did you get given Marcella Hazan's book? When did you first read it? Well, Marcella Hazan has been like in and out of my life for like since I was about 12, 13. So I guess it started with uh, my mum saw her on telly and she was doing a demonstration. She decided she needed to get the book and she got uh, uh, the essentials of classic Italian cookery like for my dad and her to use in the restaurant. So I kept seeing this massive tome mm. with lots of bits of paper stuck in it. Um, so that was my first experience of it. And, and and I found it a little bit intimidating when I tried to read it as someone who was a... And I'd more likely read Nigel Slater or something back in the day. Yeah, it's a huge book. Yeah, and I always remember, I always remember seeing it. There's a picture of Marcella on the front. I used to think that's for when you're serious, that book. Mm. Um, and then it sort of left me for a bit. I suppose I didn't have it at college and then um and then it really came back to the fore when I was at Rochelle Canteen because some of the dishes we cooked there were almost directly from it and mm. um and Margot and Fergus uh are big lovers of Marcella Hazan so they recommended there's a big copy of it old copy of it on the shelves at Rochelle which I used to go and look at a lot it's a, it's an amazing book if yeah. you want to open an Italian restaurant, yeah. it's like the best book to cook from. It's so accessible. It's the it? only book to cook from, yeah. Yeah, it has everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it covers a lot. And um, and a lot of it seems quite basic. Mm. But it's like... That's Italian food. Yeah, but that is exactly what Italian food is. Um, and it starts right at... I mean, it goes through various things. And it starts with this fundamentals thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the first three things are like... Uh, um, I'm trying to remember them all. One's a sofrito, 
which is really important in exam cooking. But then there's this thing they talk about. I wrote it down, actually, just before I spoke to you, and I can never pronounce it right, um, but it is uh, insaparire, in <laughs> which means bestowing taste, right. which is it right at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, and when you read it, like it, it sort of connects to you if you're a good cook or a good chef, because it's that you've made a sofrito, then you've got the next part of it, and, and, and it's this base. Don't they also talk about making. batare? The, the idea of yeah, it does. beating, like yeah. chopping everything, yeah. Yeah, the way you chop it and what you're cooking it in, like it used to be lard and now it's olive oil and, and butter a lot of the time. Yeah. But isn't that all like like so essential? Oh, that, I mean, to write something about the idea of cooking a base as opposed to like yeah. chop onion, carrots, put it in oil, to like actually understand mm. what's going on. It's really, really technical, but fuck yeah. me, so simple. Yeah, it is, yeah. And it's so simple. And this idea of... um cooking the base and and thinking about that first part of something that you're making mm. i think is a uh, key to sort of flavor and and um and it's where a lot of people go wrong like you can't just show an onion a pan like you know you have to let it become an onion like uh yeah. and, and and when she talks about that i think like you should read it over and over again and get it into your head like especially if you're wanting to make food that goes beyond like Oh, that, that filled me up. You know, like mm. food that makes you go, wow, that, that tasted really exceptional. Yeah. And and it, and it crosses through Italian cooking to British cooking to Spanish cooking. Like, I think that same thing could definitely go through it all, you know. I think before I had thought like, oh, you just put onion, carrot, salary and everything. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was like mm. aimlessly chopping and putting in a pot. And then you get, and a yeah. lot of the stuff is like a garlic base or a chili garlic base. And that I like, everything is so different across all of Italy. And it's really, really important so for the dish. And you, I was like, oh, well, I don't need onions and everything. I mean, onions are amazing, but some stuff, if I'm going to braise yeah. fennel, I don't need onions. Just do a bit of like garlic and fennel seed. Absolutely. And you think so much about, and the Italians are amazing at this, thinking so much about yeah. exactly what is needed and not overdoing it. So the, the, one of the dishes in the book, which was one of the first ones I saw at Rochelle Canteen, that I, and it's one of Margot's favourite dishes actually as well, is uh, the squid and potatoes. And the base for that uses fresh parsley it's straight into the olive oil. Right. Like, And most people think of putting parsley in at the end of a dish. Mm. But it's essential to that dish. It doesn't have onions in. It's like garlic and, um, and lots of parsley yeah. in olive oil with chilli. And that sort of cooks in the olive oil and then you add the potatoes and the squid and all the liquid comes out of the squid with the white wine and it's such a delicious, simple dish. Mm. But again, like a, uh, um, interesting uh, how you can change a base of something and it changes everything. Yeah. What else are some favourites that you've cooked from there? I mean, the tomato sauce is one that's sort of baffling. Yeah, the tomato sauce is uh, uh, a, a delicious tomato sauce. So simple, the tomato butter sauce. Mm. I think anyone that cooks Italian food like should make that sauce No. I mean, it basically uses, if, if you don't know it, like, you don't really chop anything, do you? Just, like, um, <laughs> you put, like, a half an onion in with the tomato and the butter. You just cook it and cook it. You mill the tomatoes if you want, and then you just cook it until it all separates, the butter separates out of the tomatoes, and it's really sort of quite thick. And then mm. I can't think of a better sauce to go with something like uh, a simple potato gnocchi, and, it, and it's so easy. So um, that's up there. Was one of my favorites. I mean, the the parmesan risotto. I mean, all the other risottos are great, but like, make the one that's just parmesan. Yeah. Like, uh, and learn to make that properly. Mm. Don't be people like f around with uh, 
risotto so much, putting so much different stuff in, like, isn't it great with, like, just, like, the classic one with parmesan? I think, what else is there in it? Chicken and two lemons? Yeah. That's it's literally a chicken with two lemons in it. But if you've never cooked it, you should try. It comes out of the oven like a balloon, if you do it right. Right. It looks mad. Yeah. But, I haven't made um, that before. It's so tasty. You te- you get two good lemons, like, Amal- I suggest getting an Amalfi lemon season. Roll them, prick them all over. You 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 season the chicken with salt and pepper. You stuff them in, and then use a cocktail stick to just seal up the inside. Right. And then you put it upside. Well, I'd call it upside down, breast side down in the oven for 20, 30 minutes. And you turn it over, and then you just cook it till it's cooked. And because the steam's coming out of lemons, it starts to inflate the chicken, but it keeps it so moist inside and like. People think, oh, it's not, and you don't put any oil on nothing. Like it seasons, it's the self-basting thing with the lemon, yeah, and it comes out absolutely delicious, yeah. And um, I, I guess, like, I mean, some people don't love offal, and like, I don't put as much on the menu as I used to. I don't think, but it's still one of my great loves. Like the use of offal, yeah. She calls it um, variety meat <laughs> offal in the, in the book. That's how it translates. Yeah. But it's got that amazing tripe dish in there. Yeah, I was going to say, I love tripe. But you cook with the tomatoes and it emulsifies and then you add parmesan. And I think it's one of the best ways to eat tripe. Like, I mean, I like tripe in a lot of ways, but like, I love I love that sort of cooked down way with tomatoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, Bruce Poole talks about um, awful quite well in uh in his book uh where he says it's like a film um with jean reno in like awful like every time jean reno's in a film you're like oh this could be good jean reno's in the film yeah. <laughs> like if he's not in the film like yeah uh it could be a good film still but like you think oh maybe that film could have been better if they got jean reno in at some point <laughs> yeah so what so the food you're cooking now is it it's it's a bit more than Italian, isn't it? You said some Greek stuff yeah. as well. There's some Greek stuff in there that I think everyone should uh, reach into their heritage. And my grandmother was Greek, so uh, we I grew up eating a lot of Greek food. So I do I do have a Greek influence. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that made us move from London to Scotland was the produce. Really, like um, Fife, where I am. It's got um, sort of land, sea, vegetables. It's got everything, really. Game. Um, yeah. Stunning beef off the estate. They're using uh, Lincolnshire red cattle and absolutely wonderfully marbled stuff. And, and then we've got um, uh, the sheep, which are all grazing on this amazing grass they've got there. And they, mm. they plant chicory and things for them to eat as well. You get this quite nice marbling of fat on them. Then you get the cool ewes, you know, the mutton, and that's stunning as well. Pigs I've found a bit harder, but there's some Tamworth pigs on the way, hopefully this summer. I've been getting pigs from all over the place. Mm. You know, I love a pig. Um, But then, like, the uh, produce from the sea, we've got a really good supplier. And, um, you know, the turbot and the brill, and if you use the right stuff up there, amazing mackerel, squid. lovely cold water. Yeah. Yeah, it's that cold water, and um, and then that mud was that paired with like you'd be. I was worried about vegetables when I got up there, but I shouldn't have been. Like we get amazing organic um, grown veg. There's quite a few places around I me, mean, but uh, the two people that grow on the estate near where we are, Tom and Connie, they have a thing called East Newt Market Garden, 
and they grow uh, stunning veg. So then they'll send me what's going to come into season. You see more of the growing. I think Lloyd said on his podcast about how important it is for chefs to yeah, I was going to um, say this yeah, get involved in growing. Yeah, I have to say like I haven't. I've seen it and I watch it and I can appreciate the work that goes in. Mm. I like to get the finished projects and then deal with it. Yeah. Maybe that's a lazy side to me that I don't like. Well, but, um, I think Lloyd was saying kind of more importantly that he he likes now being opening a restaurant it's exciting that he can buy from farmers and he can buy from yeah. people like directly. And that's what's good in uh, Scotland where I am in Fife. Like I, I, I can put like what I couldn't do in London you, you can cast the net out from the inn where we are now like a two mile radius there's dishes on the menu where everything is grown or or caught within that you know and that's a, a that's quite an, an exciting thing to do now for a chef because it's sort of a, a, a sort of gem of an area that a lot of people aren't familiar with the East Nook mm. um of huge skies I mean you've obviously St Andrews is there which everybody knows but the little fishing villages near us, Ely down to sort of Anstruther, quite beautiful places, yeah. And uh, everything's so open up there. Like, yeah, it's, the light is a very different, sort of very um, um, soothing on the eyes, I think, like if you come up. But then uh, the inn's quite a lovely place, you know, like it's, it's a nice place to sort of sit. And even on a winter's night, you know, we've got fires and it, it's got something you can't get. Uh, in a city really <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure but it is sort of cathartic being there cleaner air let's say much cleaner yeah thanks for listening James's pub although I haven't been seems really special but the Instagram is the closest I can get right now if you're listening on Spotify follow if on Apple subscribe and leave a review it helps other people find the show and follow me on Instagram at a cook's library Thanks again. Keep cooking and keep eating.